rumor, a currently circulating story or report of uncertain or questionable truth. This is Rumors of Grace, where I talk to people rumored to have found beauty and truth in broken and uncommon places. Welcome to another episode of Rumors of Grace. This is Bob Hutchins, and today uh, I've got a very special guest. I have not met him personally, but we have met and talked briefly uh, online. I follow his Instagram page. Uh, He's a very uh, multi-talented individual. I'm going to give you his bio Because while I follow his art on Instagram, there's a lot more angles and spectrums to this man named David Hayward that we're going to talk about today. So, David uh, has a master's of theology. He's been uh, over 30 years in professional pastoral experience. He currently lives uh, in in Canada. He has a master's of theological studies from Gordon Conwell. Uh, He's a diploma in religious studies and ministries from McGill University in Montreal. Uh, Really interesting faith background, and we're going to let David talk more about it himself. But for the sake of introductions of bio, David was baptized as an Anglican. He came to faith in a Baptist church. He changed to the Pentecostal church uh, in his late teens. He married another Pentecostal, was then ordained a Presbyterian minister, and then he pastored a vineyard church, went independent, and planted all other types of churches. So we're going to give uh, a pretty interesting story and background on David coming up here. In 2010, he left the professional paid clergy after almost 30 years and now he is helping people find their own spiritual path. Uh, with courage and joy. He uses art. He uses teaching. He has developed a community. Um, His Instagram page is called Naked Pastor, N-A-K-E-D-P-A-S-T-O-R. So I encourage you to go look at his cartoons, his artwork, uh, his social commentary. It's really, really good. David, thank you for doing this and welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Bob. I appreciate you inviting me. I'm glad to be here. I'm looking forward to our talk. Yeah, so, so tell, first of all, tell, tell people where you are right now. <clears throat> uh, right now, I am in Canada. I live in Canada near St. John, New Brunswick. I'm on the Atlantic side of, of Canada. So um, I, I have lived in the States, and um, my experience with uh, some Americans is that they don't know very much geography of outside the United States. So to help some of uh, you guys out, I'm north of Maine. So it's uh, the real beautiful area on the coast, right? Yeah, very, very beautiful. Yeah, a lot of forests, a lot of water, and um, a lot of snow. Unfortunately, in fact, we just got a snowstorm, a snowstorm last night. So, and oh, wow. you know, this is April. What? So you know, it's just crazy. But you know, that's the sacrifice you got to make when you live in a beautiful spot like this. So <laughs> yeah, what are you looking at right now at your window? Well, snow. I mean, I just finished shoveling my driveway, uh, and I, I I did go for a run. I, I like to run, and um, I did go for a run, and I, that was a little bit risky because cars <laughs> uh, splashing on you and not wanting to get out of the way and stuff. But anyway, no, it's it's beautiful. Uh, you know, I think spring is officially here, but it doesn't look like it yet. There's nothing green showing right now, so. Yeah, yeah. Well, down here in the uh, Tennessee, we're starting to get some warm weather, and we're far from snow, thank goodness. So, 
Well, anyway, I wanted to talk with you, David. Um, uh, I love uh, we. I got to know you. Somebody else recommended. Hey, you need to follow this guy and his his, his artwork and his commentary. Oh, cool! And I've just I've just loved it. I've reposted a few things. But let's talk. Let's talk about your background because mm-hmm. as I read your bio, uh, I, I thought that I was a bit of a denominational mutt. I, I think you put me to shame. <laughs> talk to me a little yeah. bit about your childhood and your your upbringing and and how you arrived at where you are today. Yeah, I, 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 I call myself my, the, my, I have my own ecumenical movement. Like I've been everywhere and been influenced by all kinds of Christian denominations and everything. But beyond that too, um, I've, I've shown a lot of interest in other religions, Buddhism, Islam, Hinduism, Zen, you know, uh, different philosophies. So, uh, I, from a very early age, I've been sort of spiritually in minded and mm. interested. Like I've been curious about spirituality, and uh, I guess I've been curious about mystery and you know what's beyond the visible and, and all that kind of thing. And my mom and dad always thought I was a bit of a um, a deep kind of like a brooder, <laughs> you know, where I'm just sort of be thinking all the time and uh but also i was also an artist i remember from a very early age drawing and and painting and and things like that so um i don't know i just sort of grew up with that uh interest in spirituality and and that as a result that sort of led me into religion i I did become an official kind of a born-again christian when i was 15 or so um and that was in a baptist church and then you know my family sort of uh, my my mom and dad they were already religious. I think they were officially saved at a Billy Graham crusade in Toronto, hmm. and um, you know, so religion has always been a part of my family. Christianity, the church, and uh, but when I turned fifteen or so and I got saved, uh, as they say, um, my family sort of fell along, and we all ended up becoming really serious churchgoers, and so I was involved with youth groups um, and you know we switched to Pentecostal church and I got involved in a, in a Christian rock band and you know um, I ended up going to Bible college at Pentecostal and that's where I met my wife Lisa and um, you know ended up going to a seminary so I've just been very serious about spirituality that and I've as a result found myself in the church mm-hmm. and um, ended up um being so serious about it that I decided to become a, a pastor. And so I've, I've been pastoring local churches for many, many years until 2010 when I, I just felt I'd outgrown the, the limitations of, of the box I felt I was in at the time. And that time I was a, a, a vineyard pastor. Mm. And uh, I left the ministry in 2010. And from there I, I taught at a university for a couple of years, and then um, I decided to branch out on my own and and, and see if I could, um, you know, run my own business from home as an artist mm. and uh, teacher and community facilitator. And you know, it's 2019, and so far it's worked. Wow, that's great. So, yeah, um, you're married. Your wife's name is Lisa. Yep. Okay, yep. and. Uh, you guys have have always lived in Canada or other parts of the states as well. 
Yeah, we've uh, we met in the states, and we lived in the states for a while. Um, while I went to Gordon Conwell mm-hmm. Theological Seminary outside of Boston, and then um, from there we moved to um, uh, Prince Edward Island in Canada. Mm-hmm. And then, long story short, we ended up for a year in upstate New York. And then we came back to Canada again. We've mostly been living on the east coast of Canada, uh, New Brunswick, Nova Scotia, Prince Edward Island. And then um, for one year, I went to New Hampshire and planted an independent church there. Then came back to Canada again and, and uh, um, pastored a vineyard church okay. until I left. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So yeah. so back up a little bit. Um, yeah. You breezed past your, your childhood and growing up. Did you have siblings? Yeah, I'm the oldest of five kids. There's four of us left, but uh, I was the oldest of five kids, yeah. So was it you were initiated early on into maybe a nominal faith environment, and then it's, it sounds like you all kind of graduated to a more, quote, serious uh, Christian uh, following? Is that is that accurate? Yeah, we, we, um, we were... What I can remember, we were kind of sporadic churchgoers when I was growing up. Um, I, I, I remember the church now and then and uh, being in the church now and then. But it was when I was a teenager, uh, around 15 years old, when I got born again uh, at a youth group. Um, uh, and then it became my life. Like mm-hmm. I went to church every Sunday morning, every Sunday night, youth group, every whenever it was and then prayer meeting in the middle of the week you know it became it became a life yeah. and that was the way um you know right through my pentecostal years and everything that's how i experienced church was okay. this kind of full-time uh hobby you know sure sure mm. okay well tell talk to me a little bit david about that growing up was that a positive experience i mean i know for many of us, uh, church and faith and Christianity uh, is such a big part of, of our lives and the framework that we see the world through as, as young people. Um, do you have fond memories of that? Was that a positive experience? Um, I, for the most part, I think so. Um, you know, I'm, I'm a part of a, a, a large group of people now who have left or leaving the church and a lot of the people I you know hang out with online or whatever um, you know we're following each other and stuff so for example hashtag exvangelical um, those kind of people or mm-hmm. you know people who left the church I see many of them look back um, and see that their upbringing in the church was kind of uh, kind of negative and compare it to a cult, you know, where um, you had to believe in a certain way and behave a certain way in order to belong. And I I did, too. I had to believe a certain way and behave a certain way, but I didn't mind it. I didn't, it wasn't, um, it wasn't uncomfortable to me at the time. Mm. I, you know, it was just my life. Sure. Uh, and, you know, uh, I when I left the church in 2010, I always, I always seemed to Move. I seem to migrate from um, a smaller box into a bigger box. Yeah. And that's how, you know, from my late teens when I left home to go to college uh, into my adulthood, 
until I left the church, I was always trying to find a church that was big enough to handle me that, and my questions and my, my searching and my mm. spiritual independence and so on. Mm. And uh, so, you know, at the time, I look back, it's, it's kind of, uh, yeah, I can see how narrow-minded it was um, and how cultic some of the features were of my religious upbringing. But at the time... I didn't mind it, and and uh, a lot of people like I was I was I was all in right. <laughs> I was totally that was my community, and I was all in. Now looking back, I can see, yeah, wow, you know. But um, I was able to move on from there, and I know a lot of people who weren't able to, and who've had to make an abrupt mm-hmm. divorce from the church in their lives later on, and and to them, their whole upbringing and experience in the church has been uh, they see it as negative. But yeah. that, has, that hasn't been mine. Mine's been a sort of a gradual migration into larger and larger, more accepting uh, and open churches until the point where um, I, I couldn't really find one anymore. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, have you come to the point in your life where I know um, Richard Rohr talks a lot about, you know, inclu- mm-hmm. including and transcending other people talk about. You know, I think uh, Brian Zahn talks about packing your luggage uh, and what you put in your luggage is what you've learned and the things that you're thankful for. Um, Uh Have you are you able or do you choose to see your experience that way, meaning these ever expanding boxes and understanding of of spirituality and faith in your journey as you grow? uh, are, Are you allowed? Are you at a point where you're thankful for those boxes or do you? see them as as negative i'm, I'm cur- always curious when people enter into a state of deconstruction mm-hmm. or or continued journey whatever you call it um, right. some people are super thankful uh for where they came from and then some people uh can become pretty bitter for what for various reasons and some of them rightfully so what where are you right. in that on that continuum yeah, so th- this is this is the problem. I think this is a huge problem that church faces, and uh, it's how. Um, so, so for example, I, I keep referring to this when people talk to me about it. But um, James Fowler's stages of faith. He he mm-hmm. delineates six stages of faith, and so you begin in, in your infancy and childhood, and then your teen years, and then. Uh, uh, Adolescence, early adulthood, and so on and so forth, until hopefully you get to the sixth stage, which he calls a universalizing faith, where mm. you know you see the unity of all things and so on and so forth. I think the church is really good at nurturing people through to the third stage, but the fourth stage is the stage when people start to question and um, start to wonder, uh, and, you know, start to question the beliefs that they've adopted, inherited. Mm. And the church is really good up to stage three, but when people start to question, that's when they drop the ball. That's where the church drops the ball, in my opinion. And and people are faced with a choice. Either they stay and keep their mouths shut and their minds closed, or they continue asking questions and they, they're forced to leave the church or mm. be, be silent. And... So this, this to me, is the problem. And, in fact, I've come to this point now where I, I no longer like the phraseology stages of faith. I prefer to see growth as spatial. So as I grow, as we grow, we grow outward, and that includes what I've already come to. 
So right. I'm, I, when I when I when I think of linear growth, then I can leave everything behind me that I've experienced before and forget about it. Or stages, I can you know ascend up to a higher level and look down on in a condescending way my my previous experience. But if right. you think of it spatially, where we grow outward, it it, it subsumes what we've already experienced. So I'm like you. I totally understand why people are really angry and bitter and resentful about their spiritual or religious uh, history. Um, Whereas for me, yeah, terrible things happen to me, uh, really awful things happen to me, spiritual abuse, etc. But I find it's healthier for me to um, look back on these as somehow contributing to who I am today, sort of, sort of like manure. You right. know, this somehow blends together to make a very rich kind of compost mm. uh, for the culture in which I have grown up in to become the person I become. Yeah, and and so I, I like to think of growth as spatial, and this is what I try to help people do. Um, and like, for example, in my online community, the Lasting Supper. They're full of people who are deconstructing. I try to help them through that process because you know, even though anger and you know bitterness and um, you know resentment and all things are are really justified by a lot of people, I, I'm sure most of us don't want to stay there. We want to figure out a way to um, move beyond that and somehow mm-hmm. somehow learn how to integrate the darkest periods and the darkest sides of our. Uh, lives and our histories and ourselves, right? In order to become fully individuated and, and whole human beings. So yes, yes. And and what's interesting about your journey, David, and, and what I reason I wanted to talk with you is, you know, so many people come uh, and and have uh, traumatic experiences in a church setting, and they. There, there's reasons for them changing and going to other ways of looking and denominational persuasions that may be considered larger, larger mm-hmm. in, in their inclusion. But for you, um, here you are, somebody who, you know, you, you have a master's degree from Gordon Conwell, so you've explored the depths of uh, a reformed theology. You you came up and came to faith in a Baptist church, so you're very familiar with the dispensational perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you're vineyard and charismatic, so so you've you're not someone who's taken their faith lightly. You're not somebody who said, "Oh, I'm going to try this. I had a bad experience, so I'm going to chuck it all." Mm-hmm. You, you've you've studied, you you've read, you've led, you you've done the hard work. And you've uh-huh. gone deep into those faith traditions. Talk to me about how, for you, um, those experiences um, led you to, as you say, wider, more open spaces. Yeah. So I, I've um, I've always appreciated different liturgical expressions. So, um, but the the one I always found myself kind of grad towards was uh, sort of a charismatic expressions of worship. So, um, and the one I ended up in, uh, Vineyard Church, was very, uh, you know, contemporary uh, music, you know, with a full band, um, you know, drums and, you know, bass, you know, the whole the whole bit, no plexiglass rooms to hide the drummer behind or anything. It was full on. You know, full band. And, the louder, the you know, better. 
<laughs> louder the better, and a lot of lot of expressiveness in the worship. And, and I, you know, I just found myself I gravitated towards that. Mm. I, I was in the Presbyterian Church for a while, where everybody, you know, stands holding a hymn book, uh, looking down, and nothing else happens. Right, right, and, right. And and that's legitimate. Totally fine. If, if you're cool, I'm cool, you know, kind of thing. But that wasn't what I found I gravitated towards. So in terms of worship, I found myself gravitating towards sort of an expressive kind of relaxed kind of uh, worship with more contemporary music. On the other hand, you know, when I'm at home, I'll love listening to Renaissance church music or Russian choirs or whatever, like, or, you know, um, um, monastic uh, choirs or, you know, you name it. So, I, I, you know, I like all these expressions of, of, of litur- lit- liturgy and even, you know, going to high Anglican churches. Um, that's what we call Episcopal up here. Right. Um, or, or Catholic churches with high liturgy or, you know, I love that as well. But my, I gravitated towards the, the expressive kinds of worship. On the other hand now, for teaching, I love really good, deep kind of, you know, serious kind of theological thought. So I found myself gravitating towards Reformed theology. Mm. And my favorite theologian, and probably still is, is Karl Barth. And, you know, I, would, I was leaning that way in terms of my theological growth, you know, and it began with you know, Martin Luther and then John Calvin and then, you know, uh, then the great reformers of Germany like Bonhoeffer and Barth and, you know, um, you know, these, these kinds of theologians. And um, so I always found myself looking for a church that would accept this kind of dual aspect, this dual expression of my spirituality where I liked going deep intellectually, but experiencing expressive worship, you know, so that's a right. hard mix because my experience and my observation is if the, the more expressive the church is in worship, the shallower the teaching is hmm. and, and the more, the, the deeper the teaching of a church is, the less expressive, in my opinion, is their worship. So it, it, if I could find a church that could sort of bring those two together and um, my, the last church I pastored, we were able to do that. So, hmm. um, and I loved it. I loved it. So, you know, that, that worked for me. Well, talk to me then about, you know, in those experiences, and it sounds like, you know, we could probably do a whole podcast about the various experiences in those churches hmm. and ministry and, you know, real, real life. Uh, you know, transformation that I'm sure you observed both in yourself mm. and your parishioners. But, mm. but fast forward me to 2010. What what right. what precipitated you from leaving uh, the pastoral full time quote ministry roles when you apparently, as you just said, uh, really enjoyed and had found a place where you were you were able to bring all the things that that you loved, that you learned, that you that you were searching mm. for. Uh, what 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 precipitated leaving that? So, like I said, I I always looked for a home where I could continue my explorations and my journey that I began as a child. You know, so I um, I the the last church I pastored, I basically pastored there from ninety five 
um, till I left in 2010. And um, I... I enjoyed the the church. I had a great leadership team. The community was very rich and very satisfying. Um, we had all kinds of you know different teachers in the congregation, all kinds of different worship leaders, and um, I felt free to grow as I felt you know I was as I felt I could. So I felt total freedom in that regard. But <clears throat> as time went on, I began to. Uh, I, I had a, I had a huge sort of a, a spiritual kind of a crisis or a trauma. Um, it was a good one though. In two thousand and nine, where I, I woke up like one night, I went to bed and it was like, I'm, "That's it! I just want to throw in the towel. I'm done searching. The mystery is just too great. I don't understand." A lot of it had to do with LGBTQ people, um, uh, you know, wanting. I, I myself was welcoming, but the, the vineyard was not as welcoming and was not affirming and um, was not, certainly wouldn't ordain or marry and, and uh, etc. So I was struggling. That was just one of the theological things I was struggling over and, you know, just struggling over how can Christianity be right uh, and not exclusive um, how, you know, all these kinds of questions, and it was tormenting me. And then I, I, I had a dream. I woke up the next morning, and I realized that, you know, we're, we're, all, we're all united at a deep and fundamental level. There's only one reality. We all have our different interpretations and our different ways of explaining it. But essentially, we're all one. And all these religious manifestations are attempts to understand and explain and articulate this great mystery that we call life and reality. And, and, and that was, I had immediate peace of mind. Like, I'm serious. My mind went completely tranquil and mm. has been ever since. And so I started trying to articulate and understand this new kind of revelation that I'd had or realized and, and was writing about it in my blog. And it made some people uncomfortable. I, so I, I started to realize, hey, Here's the line. I, I discovered where the line was, <laughs> and I was stepping over it. Um, you know, I I was growing in a way that made a lot of people in my congregation uncomfortable and uh, questioning. You know, was I really truly uh, Christian anymore? Um, did I believe believe in God and and the Holy Spirit and were these questions were these questions all around the idea that you were becoming more loving and more accepting and more inclusive of people who were different? Was that the main thing that it that it was surrounding? Um, no, I wouldn't think. So. I don't think so because the congregation was trying to learn how to be more uh, inclusive and affirming. Where the problem was, I was writing about this. Uh, you know, this vision I'd had, and I don't mean a vision from heaven. I just had this vision where we were, we're all one yeah, and the unity of all things Mm. and how, how, you know, religions, different religions are are a different perspective on just one reality. There's just one reality that we're all experiencing, but we're experiencing it through our own paradigms and through our own perceptions. And, each one of us is trying to articulate it using our own language. So 
the only thing that seems to separate us and divide us is is words, language, and thoughts. And I, I, I saw this so clearly. And so I was trying to write this. I was writing about this in my blog and, you know, um, Naked Pastor and, you know, some people... People in my own congregation never read my blog. They're like, why do we want to read your blog? We have to listen to you every week already, you know, kind of thing. But other people in other congregations were reading it, informing people in my congregation, what's going on with your pastor, you know. And then even even the vineyard leaders were starting to get letters of concern from people saying, you've got a heretic in your midst and, you know, things like this. So things started to get... Um, Difficult for me. I was starting to get phone calls and, and uh, emails and of concern from vineyard leadership, um, you know, and people in my congregation were starting to express concern. And then one night, we there was a meeting of uh, some people, some leaders, and we were talking. And I knew in my mind, I'm I'm done. I mean, <laughs> I just knew I was I'd lost credibility. Um, mm. That something had happened. Uh, uh, you know, the tide had turned um, where I didn't feel I had the critical mass of support that I once had. And um, I knew I needed to get out before I did any more damage to the church. Got and it. yeah, so I did. I, I was, was that not. painful for you? <laughs> I, I was scared seriously. <laughs> it wasn't beautiful. What was your? I mean, the clarity was beautiful. I'd asked. I'd, I'd wanted clarity. I wanted clarity because I did struggle for quite a while, wondering when do I leave? When's the perfect time to leave? I need to know before the church is negatively compromised, or before I am. Hmm. And and so I that, that it came that night. This it's the time is now. And that clarity was beautiful. I'd waited for it, and I got it. I texted my wife, Lisa, who was at home, or no, she was at work. I said, honey, I'm, I'm done. And then she texted back, me too. And um, I knew that was it. So within a, within a month, I was, I was gone, and my what, replacement was there. What, what, was, um, what was your li- wife like on this journey? Was she on a similar journey? Was she f- not far behind you? I mean, <laughs> what, what does that look like? Um, so that, that's one of the biggest things I, 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 I talk about and I help people with is marriages and deconstruction. It, I see a lot of marriages blow up because uh, one of the partners – starts to deconstruct before the other one and there's massive misunderstanding and a sense of betrayal even and disconnect and and so on and I see a lot of marriages struggle through that process um so I try to help people through that my wife and I uh we we did struggle because you know we were in ministry together we were in the church together we were like joined at the hip we were so much the same we were very much on the same page um all through our marriage and then all of a sudden, um, with this, you know, revelation I had one night, uh, and I was starting to explore this, that started really my, my deconstruction really went into hyperdrive and as it, it resulted in me leaving the ministry. Now we were empty nesters by this point, our three kids have already moved out and, so Lisa had gone to university to get her nursing degree. So she was in school, 
and uh, she was studying and she had her new group of friends and, you know, I was doing my thing. And, and so we were starting to feel a separation happen in our in our marriage. We weren't joined at the hip like we used to be. Uh, she had her own life and I had my own life and less and less was overlapping, whereas mm. before we were 100% overlapped, right? And um, so uh, it took, I'll tell you, it took a couple of years of a lot of conversation and a lot of patience and a lot of, I don't know, uh, faith that we could make it. I don't mean religious faith. I mean just believing that we were meant to be together and somehow this is going to work out. And uh, eventually we, you know, our marriage is better now than it's ever been. But it, it was quite a transition moving moving mm-hmm. to that place of where we individuated. Mm-hmm. She's herself and she has her own spirituality and I'm myself and I have my own spirituality. And we learned what really the glue that really holds us together is love and respect, not mm-hmm. love and compatibi- compatibility. Mm-hmm. So um, we used to be compatible spiritually. Now our compatibility is, hey, I respect you. She respects me. And that's the new level of love we're at. Yeah, that's good. And 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 I would I would argue that that's actually a deeper, um, more more um, unifying love when you're able to see differences and look at life differently, and yet see it as complementary versus uh, uh, non non-compatible or competitive even. Um, right. I think that, right. that that's a beautiful thing. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. I, it is deeper because then you can, you can, uh, withstand and endure much more because, uh, you know, like I said, we used to be so much alike, um, and believe so much the same that, uh, we assumed that was the glue holding us together. But when we realized the glue was gone, mm. we had to figure out what the real glue was. Mm. And, and, uh, you know, being, being completely compatible theologically, spiritually is, is not a good glue because, you know, you're, you're going to prevent the other from changing or be afraid to change yourself out of Mm. fear that it's going to jeopardize your relationship. Right. So, but if there's that freedom to explore and, and be yourself, you know, um, sure. Lisa could have sat me down and said, you're not the same guy I married. Well, not really. What what she really means is you don't believe the same way you believed when I was when we got married, and that's different. I'm the same guy, um, driven by the same passions and curiosity and and so on. And that this is where it's led me. And um, you need to trust me in that. So, and and the same goes for me with her. Hmm. Uh, you know, trusting Jesus. She's the same person I married. And this is where her passion and curiosity has taken her and in her spiritual life. Yeah, that's so good. It's so rich. I mean, mm-hmm. and, and, and the healing that can come from that and the, um, the healing that you guys in, can offer to other couples who are going through similar situations uh, to see that, you know, there's hope in that. Talk to, right. me, talk to me a little bit about... Um, you know, as I've talked to different people who are in similar similar paths, mm-hmm. and we're all on different kind of faith journeys. Uh, some of us are 
I was talking to someone the other day, and they had uh, gone down this path at a very, very young age, but have chosen to stay in a in a very conservative settings and actually find a lot of uh, peace and freedom to explore many different facets of of faith and different different beliefs. Um, mm-hmm. So, regardless of where you find yourself, one of the things that I've learned is that when we start talking about things like this. Uh, for some people, it's extremely threatening, but for other people, they perk up and they say, I've been feeling this for a long time, but I haven't talked to anyone about it. Mm-hmm. Um, do you find that to be true, that, that people are long, there's more people that are are trying to live this way and are trying to grow, but yet they feel like they can't really share their questions and their doubts in, in the certain structures they find themselves in? Oh, Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, that's ha- that happened to me. I know firsthand. I mean, uh, you know, I I was exploring, and I, I was under the naive assumption that I was free to explore theologically, um, spiritually, uh, this this new level I felt I was at uh, of seeing the underlying unity of all things and all people. And so I felt free to, you know, explore and ask questions and propose ideas and so on, um, but it ended up costing me my place in the church and my job as a pastor. Hmm. Uh, I, I have no regrets now. I have no hard feelings. Seriously, I, there's no resentment or bitterness. I'm glad I felt, you know, even though it was a terrifying time and very sad and disappointing um, in many, many ways, I lost a lot of friends. Uh, I, you know, I feel it was a positive move for me but there's a lot of people out there who are in that situation where their first thought is oh I have a question and you know kind of naively um, presume that they are allowed to ask and explore many of them discover no uh, it's not safe to explore and ask questions here Mm. and they they find out it's going to cost them something either they recant or be quiet or if they continue their search, they're going to end up being very uncomfortable in that setting or feeling like they have to leave. And that's that's the kind of people I'm mostly dealing with. A lot of people feel I'm a pastor to them after the church. I'm kind of like a post-church pastor, you know, who mm-hmm. is helping. I still love spiritual progress and love helping people progress spiritually. Um, but most people feel that they just can't do it within the confines of the church. Some people can. Some people have found a community that they can do it in, um, but most the most people I speak with find that they they have to leave in order to continue to grow. And and of course the sad thing is that, like I've always said, uh, the church is what the church, one of the church's greatest assets is its ability to provide community to people, and that's one of the biggest pains uh, and and prices that uh, people have to pay. Uh, in pursuit of their own spirituality is that they they have to leave the community and um, that's where a lot of people hurt mm, mm. yeah that's um, that that's that's so true and it's actually so um, so sad for so many people that rather than being a place where a safe place that people can question and explore, Mm-hmm. Uh, their own spiritual questions and the depths of their own soul and um, all of those things um, they they feel stifled and as a result um, 
can't grow and are it's almost like putting putting a child in restraints so that their body can't actually grow right um, right so so fast forward let's transition to how uh, how does your your art and your cartoons where did that come from and talk to me ab- about the power of that what did that come after 2010 or were you always doing that no i've been writing um and painting <clears throat> for you know since i was young you know but i i started blogging in 2005 and uh quickly got the name Naked Pastor and um, I started cartooning in 2006 I think my cartoon first cartoon was in the summer of 2006 and I thought I would just give it a shot because I was inspired by other cartoonists and you know I was an artist already and I thought I could probably draw a cartoon and I thought I'll, I'll try a cartoon every day until I can't think of any more I thought I would last a month but here it is 2019 I'm still drawing cartoons almost every day. Hmm. And um, so I have thousands of cartoons. I quickly caught on that, uh, um, you know, I could write a pretty decent post. And I, you know, I have I have several books out already that I've written. But, boy, there's nothing like the power of a picture to convey a thought. And I, I, I found, I found um, really, really, really interesting strong uh, reactions, both positive and negative, to my one-frame cartoons, you know, one simple picture. And rather than me, you know, um, trying to start a conversation with a written blog post, that would seldom ever happen. Mm. I would draw one picture and, you know, um, start conversations all over the place and they would get shared everywhere. So... I just, you know, I still like to write, but it's amazing the power of one picture to uh, start a conversation or a fight. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. And and you also do artwork beyond just cartoons, but beautiful right. artwork. Uh, Thank you. Yeah, is that something that do you sell that or do you? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I, I I do mostly watercolor paintings. I call them prints of peace, <laughs> mm-hmm. and um, because they're peaceful, kind of. You know, paintings of nature, usually um, people in nature, and um, because uh, the you know I the, my most meaningful moments, let's say spiritual moments, is me alone at night outside in the dark with the moons and stars. Like it's uh, you know very very meaningful to me. So I try to convey that feeling through through my paintings and. Then, then there's my Sophia drawings. I don't know if you're familiar with those, but um, I drew I drew uh, 62 images of Sophia, a young woman um, who made her escape into her own independence and freedom. And I wrote a meditation for each of those drawings and made a book out of it called The Liberation of Sophia. And that's been a very, very meaningful, you know, um, piece of art for for many people mostly women around the world uh, mm. you know of of their conveying their story of feeling trapped and then making their escape and then figuring out how to live life as an independent person yeah yeah mm. that's, that's beautiful that's beautiful what what is the 
what's the environment and format that that you work with people now? I mean, you moved on to a different type of ministry, but it's very much still very pastoral. Right. Um, what's a typical week look like for you? Um. I, well, every every morning, the, one of the after my morning routine, uh, the first thing I do is um, sit down and figure out a cartoon to draw and a little bit to write. And then I try to spend a couple of hours doing deep work, like writing or preparing a course or something. Mm. And then I have my online community, The Lasting Supper, that um, there's about 200 members, and we engage with one another, interact online. Um, we have a private Facebook group where we engage with one another and support one another. Um, so that, that keeps me pretty busy as well. And um, then I do coaching, uh, one-on-one coaching with some people who I, I coach in two different ways. One is to help people deconstruct, and another is to help people who are creative figure out how to make money from their creations. Mm-hmm. So I that's, you know another way I coach people. And then I, I, I teach courses. So I have online courses that I, um, you know, that I create and, and, and sell. So that's how I make, I have several streams of income from my cartoons and my books and my coaching and the lasting supper and my art and courses. And it keeps me very busy, but I'm, I'm doing something I love and I'm very passionate about it because I just love helping people find ways to um, live their own lives independently and happily and joyfully, whatever that takes. Because mm. I don't know about you, but if you look out there, a lot of people are very afraid to take that step into independence. Because um, mm-hmm. many of us are intuitively know that it could cost us a lot. So many people hold back and stay in the crowd and the status quo uh, rather than take the risk of you know, stepping out and living their own lives. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's so good. That's so good. What, what is it that I, I, you know, one of the things that I've appreciated about your illustrations, your drawing and your commentary is Mm -hmm. that you can create such a powerful message. uh, And it's, it's social commentary. It's, it can Mm -hmm. be very direct. It can be, funny it can be hurtful in a positive way uh it can mm-hmm. be um telling and in in all of those in a single panel cartoon right. uh, what what are you trying what what do you hope people walk away with when they you know look at your instagram or or look at your art or re, or read your blogs what is it that that you desire every day what's your passion what do you want people how, what sort of transformation do you want to spark in people right so I actually have a, a piece of paper taped in front of my desk that says help people <laughs> mm. just to remind me just to help people like it's I could vent and and you know do stuff uh, just to make myself feel better or whatever momentarily but it, the, the bottom line is I just really want to help people and so what I hope when people come and, and follow me on Instagram or see my work anywhere on Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, wherever, I hope they feel um, that they can critique their present situation freely. Mm. I, I, I want people to look at my work and say, 
holy smokes, he's he's critiquing the church. Like you're not supposed to do that. I get. In fact, even this morning, somebody wrote me and said, "I find you too critical of the church. I'm unfollowing you." <laughs> and I'm like, okay, fine. You know, uh, and I get that quite a bit. But I want people to look at my work. Three things. One is you're allowed to critique the, your your present situation. You're mm-hmm. you're allowed to analyze, and and if you have problems, if you have issues, you're allowed to notice it, and you're allowed to raise your voice. That's number one. So. Um, I, I, I see that happening around the world. I mean, I'm, I have followers from around the world where they're saying, oh, my God, like, you're right about the church and the church I'm in. This is exactly what they do. And I'm, you know, it's like it's raising awareness that you're allowed to critique. You're allowed to analyze. The second one is I want people to feel validated in their questions and their doubts and their fears and that the that you're you're validated. Your journey, your spiritual journey is as valid as anybody else's. Mm-hmm. I don't care how successful you are or how much of a failure you feel like or whatever. Your spiritual journey is yours and it's valid. Mm-hmm. And I want people to, to feel that. And then the third one is I really want to help people become what I call spiritually independent. No, I don't mean spiritually alone or spiritually isolated. I mean independent, where they're healthy, independent, autonomous human beings that can go out into the world and voluntarily become interdependent with other people rather than codependent with other people and institutions like the church. So those are, those are the three things that you're allowed to analyze, your, your journey is valid, and become spiritually independent. That's what I hope people see in my cartoons. Plus, if I make somebody angry or if I make somebody cry or if I make somebody laugh, then that's that's good too. I, I love stirring up emotion. So um, that's also something I try to do. I don't always succeed, but uh, at least um, get people thinking and hopefully raise some emotion at the same time. That's great. That's great. Um, I know you do a couple of courses too that people can yeah. can sign up for. Can you can you give us just a brief overview of what your teaching yeah. is and and how people benefit from that? Yeah. So if you go to nakedpastor.com, there's a link there for courses. But I have several courses. I have one on deconstruction. I have one on leaving the ministry because a lot of pastors who are leaving the ministry don't have a clue what to do. So I try to help pastors who are leaving the ministry figure out how to refit themselves for the real world uh, and I have a, a course in interpreting your dreams because dreams have played a big role in my life and mm. how to interpret your dreams in order to uh, guide yourself in your life and then uh, I just completed a course it's available now called Money is Spiritual um, I grew up in the church and developed really unhealthy uh, attitudes about money I had limited beliefs limiting beliefs I had poverty mentality, a scarcity mindset, and, you know, as an entrepreneur, as a business person, as an artist, that just doesn't work. So I had to figure out uh, a healthier attitude about money, and, and I wrote a book called Money is Spiritual and created a course for people who are like me, who have uh, unhealthy attitudes about money and, um, you know, want to figure out how to get over that in order to move on in their lives and succeed. So That's awesome. That's okay. awesome. Yeah. Last question I think is appropriate to end on because I know that sure. there's there, there's a lot of different types of people that listen to this podcast on different points in their journey. 
Right. Um, and, and, I, and I know a lot of them uh, are, are wanting to ask, since you've come and been involved in so many different churches and pastored and, you know, you come, you know, to a point in your life where, where you are working with people who, who struggled coming out of, of difficult situations and churches, right. who, who is Jesus to you today? What does, what is the person, uh, uh, both historical and spiritual, uh, person of Jesus Christ? Who, what, what does that mean to you today? Because it's obvious it means something very different than maybe when you started as a young person, um, and you got saved. Mm-hmm. What what is that? What is that to you today? <laughs> Holy smokes, man! You saved the best for last. Absolutely. That's a tough one. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's a big one. That's a big one because it's gone through radical changes. Um, my my view of crisis changed very very dramatically. Um, the historical Jesus, uh, there's been battles over that for many, many decades now. And, <clears throat> and um, you know, I think there's valid um, um, searches and valid questions being raised in that whole field of the historical Jesus. And, you know, I'm listening to them and listening to comparative religion um, that talks about the, the, the very you know, jarring similarities between the Jesus story and other, um, you know, hero stories from that time and region. Mm -hmm. And, uh, so I'm, I'm listening to those, I'm researching those, you know, uh, um, and, and it is changing my idea about, about the historical Jesus and so on. I'm, I'm at that place now, like, um, Richard Rohr just came out with a book called the universal Christ. Yes. I love, love that it. name because mm-hmm. uh, my my attitude about Jesus or my ideas about Jesus are now more of a mystical mm. kind than um, you know than a, a historical or a personal relationship kind. Right, it's right. Of a mystical uh, approach to it now. So sure. it, that, in a nutshell, is you know I've moved to from a very literal, um, you know. Um, everything's factual um, stance on Jesus and the Gospels to a more of a mystical uh, approach. And I love, I love the way that that book, um, and I'm reading that myself because I love it. Um, he uses a phrase called a Christ-soaked world. And mm. uh, I love that phrase because, you know, you get back to some of the old, original, early church Orthodox uh, fathers who talked a lot about this and we've mm-hmm. lost that, but, but this idea of, um, you know, Christ and the divine both being in and supporting every molecule of the universe and yet transcending at the same time. So, you know, when you try to say, do I, I got to love Jesus a lot or who do I love more, my wife or my family or Jesus, which comes first. And what, right. what this understanding brings you to is, is by, by loving your family or your wife or your dog or whatever it is that's important to you, you don't have to prioritize. But because by loving them, you are loving Christ because he, mm-hmm. you know, as Colossians and the first chapter of John says, he is in all things and whole things is all together. And like you're saying, a more universal and, and mystical reality of, of, of the preeminence of that 
it, it, it gives you a lot more freedom and allows you to see people and things in a much different light. At least it does for me. Yeah, and that's that's what um, in 2009 when I had that that picture, that dream or vision or whatever you want to call it, and, I, and it changed my uh, – it, it just brought peace of mind. I knew this is the real thing because the peace of mind I'd been searching for for my whole life had finally arrived, and, and, and thankfully it's remained. So I know this is real, and um, you know now I'm finding I, – I, I don't read so much theology anymore. Um, what I'm enjoying reading right now are, are quantum physicists and, and philosophers. Mm, right. And sometimes I'll be reading a book on quantum physics and I'll just find myself, my eyes tearing up at how beautiful what I'm reading is mm-hmm. uh, and how spiritual, even though it's pure science, uh, how spiritual and uh, mysterious and uh, how grand and awesome it is. So, that that you know, and and it's kind of like you. Like I, I don't have to be um, reading theology in order to be feeding my spiritual self. I could be reading absolutely anything, and and uh, feeding my my spiritual self. So that's good. That's so yeah. good. Well, David, thank you for yeah. your, thank you for your time. Thank you for ending on such a high note. Um, <laughs> And, and I appreciate your work and your art and everything you do. Um, and hopefully uh, we can connect again. Before we go, can you tell people how to find you and, and connect with you? Yeah, nakedpastor.com. And it's totally PG. Listen, naked means I'm vulnerable, I'm open, I'm honest, I'm raw, <laughs> I'm real. No, I'm you know fully clothed. Um, so it's nakedpastor.com, all one word, don't... Don't type in naked space pastor because you'll see some terrible things. Right. And, um, and yeah, you can contact me through there. I'm on Facebook. I'm on Twitter. I'm on LinkedIn. I'm on Instagram. I'm on Pinterest. You name it, I'm on it. And just look naked pastor, David Hayward. You'll find me. And I'm really, really good at communicating and getting back to people. Awesome, right, David. I got right back in touch with you when you wanted to talk with me. So yeah, you did. You're you're very yeah. good about about responding, and and I appreciate that. Um, very accessible. Thank you so much. Uh, uh, blessings on your on your work. Thank you thank for you. continuing to to question and go deep. And and honestly, David, I want to thank you for loving people well and loving them unconditionally. Um, we need more of that, and uh, I think you do that really well. So thank you. That means a lot. Thank you so much. Okay. We'll talk to you soon. Okay. Bye.